Hello and welcome to this episode of HBCU. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Today I have a special guest host with me, Ben Baltimore II, my chief of staff. Joining us on the show today is Julian Miller. Julian serves as the program director for the Reuben V. Anderson Center for Justice at Tougaloo College in Jackson, Mississippi. Julian is also a practicing attorney. Julian, welcome to HBCU. Thank you for having me. Man, we're glad to have you. So Julian, you have a different path to your HBCU uh, experience. Uh, like me, I did not graduate from an HBCU, but you took a totally different path to get into the HBCU uh, space where you're providing a substantial amount of support and resources. So you actually attended and graduated your undergrad at Harvard University, and you went on to the University of Mississippi to, to receive your uh, law degree. Now, you have been working in the area of uh, social justice and poverty for some time now. So talk to me about how you got engaged in that area prior to Tougaloo College. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's good again to see you again, Dee, and be on this show. Uh, I'm a fifth generation Mississippi Delton. I uh, lived there my entire life. Uh, I was raised in a very small town, uh, Winstonville, Mississippi, total population 199. <laughs> uh, and so we're ultimately, uh, you know, the poverty rate, we exceeded over 40%. And so I was raised in a working class family. And so, you know, it was, I never could get away from, you know, the circumstances of my life, but I always aspired to try to make it better. Uh, my mother ended up uh, becoming a physician, and she instilled within me the, this belief that you know you can make a difference by giving uh, by keeping someone from dying when you simply don't have to. So naturally, I would want to follow in her footsteps. So I went to a math and science high school, and I took all the math and science courses with the aspiration that I would be this great physician. But I really liked politics. I, I didn't know much about it, but I was interested in it. And yeah. so the idea of it was is while it's so noble to keep someone dying from, uh, uh, they don't have to. The idea of politics and public service is you can give them a life worth living. Right. So I enrolled, had the opportunity to enroll in Harvard College and I majored in government with that aspiration and uh, I, had to do, I did amazing work uh, with the Institute of Politics. I taught politics and civics to inner city Boston youth. I wrote for the Harvard Political Review. I did, uh, I co-wrote policy uh, proposals in the areas of congressional redistricting and addressing uh, poverty uh, in rural areas and so I knew I wanted to go to law school, but I wanted to actually try to put all of this great experience, you know, from this great Harvard experience, I wanted to kind of put it to use in my community. So I went back to the Mississippi Delta um, at the time, and I um, did anti-poverty work with an organization called Dreyfus Health Foundation, who did community projects all over the world, but they had about 20 projects that they were doing, anti-poverty projects they were doing in the Delta, focused on public health, education, and economic uh, justice. And it was, I really, you know, of course, I had a lifelong Delta, you know, and, and had experiences, but it was really, a, it really was an eye-opening perspective of looking at uh, these issues from uh, the lens of, you know, trying to address them on the grassroots level and realizing there are so many significant social problems uh, in the Delta and I had to figure out a way of how to find synergy with all these groups and, and, and address these issues in a very substantive way. And so uh, one of the things that I learned about uh, that there had been a movement uh, around food justice and uh, food justice as a means of economic justice. Yeah. And so, you know, you're from Mississippi Delta, you, you know how it is because of the mechanization of farming. You know, at one point in the uh, early 20th century, you know, African-Americans thrived, you know, as, as farmers and, and, and growers. And so but once you had the mechanization of farming and the expansion of corporate agro-farming essentially uh, uh, put these farmers out of business. And so, uh, and of course, rural towns like mine 
uh, suffered because of it. And so there had been a, a growing movement around an organization called Mississippians Engaging in Greener Agriculture. Uh, it was led by a woman named Dorothy Grace Scarborough. It was a group of local farmers from Bolivar County who were uh, 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 doing efforts around uh, growing small, uh, uh, growing high yield produce on small plots of land, and really sort of pioneering work around organic farming, and and they had done this work. They started a farmers market, and they were really trying to get into food justice space. So when I was working with Dreyfus and trying to look at how to figure out a, 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 a strategic way uh, to address all these social problems, the thought was well. Where if you look at the market in the Delta, the food market in Delta, it's about $1.4 billion that Delta spend on food. Local farmers are capturing, at that time, are capturing 0.0004% of that market. So the thought was, well, if you could have farmers of color actually, you know, develop these, these food systems, these sustainable food systems, and capture more and more of that market, you can get revenue for the Delta, which can be used to address social problems. So it's like, that's the thing so yeah. I committed my life to. So I worked with Dorothy Scarborough and others uh, to co-found an organization called Delta Fresh Foods Initiative, which uh, had the goal of developing community food, building community food systems throughout the Delta for the purposes of capturing that market and address issues of both food justice, food insecurity, as well as public health inequities. And that really, you know, sort of laid the foundation for my anti-poverty work, uh, which I did for three years and still was doing when I um, tricked in law school at Ole Miss. Got you. Wow. So Julian, I must ask, um, growing up in Winstonville, population 199, how did you matriculate through Harvard University? Let me, let me ask another question about Winstonville before you answer that question. They're not having any kids in Winstonville. It's just holding at 199. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, oh, and it's dropped. And it's dropped. It's, it's like more. Population okay. Like, okay. Like, good gracious. I'm like, man. So, yeah, it's like you moved to Winstonville. You know, I, I would suggest that they need it. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> well, first of all, and to answer your question, Ben, by the grace of God, uh, uh, honestly, I had, you know, I, you know, you're from a small portal town. You watch a lot of television. So the thing where everyone wants to go, unlike HBCUs, everybody wants to go to Harvard. Harvard's the best college in the country and this is you know where you go and it'll change your life and all these different things so I kind of bought into that and, uh, and I kind of work hard tried to work very hard make good grades and when that opportunity came you know I, I took it I never I it wasn't until I graduated from Harvard and 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 I had a very transformative experience there I, I finished in three years I took a year off my grandmother who had raised me had had, had major surgeries I took a year off and I actually had a chance to work as a policy director for a congressional campaign. And I you know, took that year off and I went back and I finished. And what was so, it was, it was really an amazing experience. I realized that Harvard had challenged a lot of my values because the environment is, it's phenomenal, but it's not, it's unrealistic. It's not how the world works. You know, everything was handed on a silver platter. of the world with your oyster. You can do anything, every opportunity, it's there. But that's essentially not how the world works. And it challenged every one of my values and proved on the ones I came with, I was pretty much right about. <laughs> and so, and that was the best education you ever get. And so after I finished, I had to understand about, okay, I've had these great opportunities and it's given me this, but now I can invest back in my community. So to make it someday at that, make it at that level. And so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, I could have never been where I've been without that experience, but I understood, I took the best parts of it to be able to uh, uh, be in a place where I can sort of transform my community. 
So tell me, how do you, uh, because you, you are a practicing attorney, mm-hmm. and obviously you've represented me before as well. And <laughs> <Yes. laughs> hey, congratulations, hey, listen. It, it all thank you, out. thank you for your role. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, and you, and you are a very good attorney, but the work that you're doing at Tougaloo College, I think transcends uh, financial gain because, you know, obviously people do not get into education uh, for the money. I mean, I think that's just pretty, you know, straightforward. And so talk to me about, you know, what inspired you to go to Tougaloo College and, and be part of uh, creating this this program, the Ruben V. Anderson Center for Justice. Oh, man. And it's funny. My, my experience with Tougaloo uh, was very unique. Oddly enough, it began when after I finished at Harvard and I started doing anti poverty work. Uh, my baby brother, LeBroderick, he got accepted to Tougaloo College. And um, he, you know, and he enrolled. And so I was very concerned about his transitioning to college and, you know, would this, you know, be a good opportunity for him? And uh, uh, would he become the man he needed to be what, and, you know, and, and be able to translate the dreams of a boy into the destiny of a man and go through that process? And I knew I wanted to support him through that process. But I was really, you know, you know concerned about this environment. So I was grateful for that time I could be at home and be with him and visit him and what I learned is he just thrived at the two experience. It was, it was, they treated him like family. He had these amazing opportunities. He had this loving environment that not only made him a better man, but also gave him, gave him extraordinary professional opportunities. And I learned a lot. I was blown away. And that experience meant so much to me. Uh, and I, to the point where I, you know, I visit Tougaloo often, you know, check on him. I, you know, his friends became like my uh, uh, siblings, surrogate siblings. And so much so, and just I'll digress a little bit, so much so that I had visited Tougaloo so often when I came back for my interview for the faculty <laughs> position, the security guy was like, hey, man, how you doing? It's good to see you. Your brother, I thought your brother graduated years ago. <laughs> and like, yeah, still do who I was. It's crazy. Yeah. And so that really touched me. And, and so, you know, little to know, you know, God is funny in how he works and what he sort of reveals to us about his perfect plan. I, that was, you know, that, that. I appreciate Tougaloo for experience what it is for my brother. I had no idea, though, I would end up, you know, uh, right. in that position to be able to sort of give back in the way for it did for me. But fast forward to uh, when I started practicing law, uh, I was with Butler Snow. Uh, the first one, the first major cases I got was a case uh, with uh, uh, representing the Department of Education in the state's first test gene scandal. And the chief lawyer of the Department of Education at that time uh, was a, a lady by the name of Raina Anderson. Uh, and come to find out, Raina Anderson was the daughter of Reuben Anderson, yeah. who was uh, probably one of the most uh, 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 infamous, uh, one of the most famous, and one of the most uh, auspicious Tougaloo alumni that ever graduated. He, was, he had the distinction of being the first African-American, once he finished Tougaloo, he was the first African-American graduate of the University of Mississippi School of Law. He went on to be a prodigious civil rights lawyer who literally in, uh, worked with NLC, uh, at the time he was, uh, uh, worked with NAACP uh, to Legal Defense Fund to integrate almost every school in the state of Mississippi. Uh, he went on to become the first African American county court, circuit court, it's county court judge, circuit court judge, and Mississippi Supreme Court Justice. Right. Uh, became the first African American president of the Mississippi Bar. And just loved Mississippi. Uh, he was, was just philanthropic. And just, and again, really, because Tougaloo has this strong legacy of social justice. And so he came about in the civil rights movement. And so he sort of embodied these transformative figures who took their education and built a great life for themselves, but really had an ethos of trying to transform the community around him. And he loved, and he will tell you, his first loves are God, family, Tougaloo. 
And so he wanted his, 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 his legacy, he wanted two students to be trained in that same mode of being able to do good, but also to do, do good, but do well. And so I had the opportunity to uh, meet his daughter, who was a phenomenal education lawyer, had a chance to work with her intimately on these cases, traveling in the state, and we built a friendship from that. And so the idea of it was, I had, was still doing my after poverty work with Delta, Delta Fresh Foods had grown, but was thinking about, well, how do we make this work statewide? And sure enough, you know, Raina, uh, who, who Justice Anderson will tell you is his greatest legacy, I was trying to think about how to take her father's ne legacy next level to make statewide. And so we together worked and decided we founded the, with uh, Justice Anderson's, of course, support, uh, founded the Reuben V. Anderson Center for Justice Nonprofit. So, you know, you, you said something along the way there that when you went back to Tougaloo to interview that the, the person that was in his security guard, the, the security guard still <laughs> remembered you. <laughs> and so they kind of go back to kind of, I think, the fabric of that HBCU experience. So I'm going to just hold you right there and pivot to you, Ben. You attended two HBCUs. Correct. Uh, Homer Community College. Correct. And Tuskegee yes. University, right? So talk to me about your experience on those campuses. Well, my experiences at both Cahoma and Tuskegee were um, experiences of family. Um, I felt like all of my professors, um, even like you said, the janitors, um, I mean coaches, everyone makes you feel at home, whether I was at a community college, um, which Cahoma Community College is a community college, as well as Tuskegee, which is a private university. Um, I, I always felt, um, I never felt out of place um, at a HBCU, um, I never felt um, like there was anything that I, I needed that I could not get. And um, I mean, it's just, it's just an amazing experience. Now, the number one thing um, about a, the HBCU experience is, of course, the football games yeah. <laughs> and homecomings. And um, maybe the number two to me, but number one to others is probably the band. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, so um, talk to me about homecoming, because I know that Cahoma Community College has uh, a probably one of the largest community college homecomings probably in the country. Right. I mean, it'll rival most right. uh, four-year institutions. Uh, well, it, it, it surpasses most four-year right. institutions. Talk to me about that experience. Well, I doubled in, uh, in college. I doubled as a promoter. And I'll just tell you, um, every year around homecoming, I would bring about 2,000 people out. So <laughs> if there's any indication of how fun homecoming was, yeah. I mean, homecoming, and, I, and my... my the population of my town is probably 2,000. I'm joking, but <laughs> but I mean, um, honestly, homecoming is, is pretty big, as well as at Tuskegee. Yeah. Um, Tuskegee is a private school, but it's it's such it's just like Tougaloo, where um, everyone feels like family and everyone comes home for homecoming. Absolutely. So, Julian, uh, I want to pivot back to you mm -hmm. and talk about the Reuben V. Anderson Center for Justice. T tell me about that. Of course. So, the idea with the Anderson Center, uh, when, when it was conceived by Raina, the idea is we didn't want to duplicate work that had already been done. Of course, Mississippi is the poorest state in the country. Uh, and so there had been, there's a significant number of anti-poverty organizations that already do work, uh, that have made some strides, you know, people working on the ground in the community, as I discovered in my organizing 15 years ago, uh, who are making strides, just need resources, who are doing great work that can be transformative, but just, you know, lack resources and institutional support. So the idea of it was with the Anderson Center was to figure out how do we build synergy uh, around organizations and institutions doing this work to, uh, to make the work systemic. So we focused on four areas, uh, economic justice, criminal justice equity, public health equity, and educational equity. And so we wanted to model the center after the MacArthur Justice Center, which is, you know, MacArthur Justice Center is a national nonprofit that um, 
partners with law schools to address, to you know, do work in impact litigation policy to address issues in the criminal justice system. And so we wanted to take that same model with Mississippi institutions. So oddly enough, before we got to Tougaloo, uh, the first project we did uh, was with Mississippi College School of Law. Uh, I start, we started a uh, education law and policy clinic uh, where we represented uh, low-income uh, students of color, 96% of them black. Uh, my clients were, are, are black males uh, in school disciplinary matters, youth court matters, and special education matters throughout the state, as well as doing impact litigation and policy on issues of educational equity. Uh, oddly enough, the uh, Dean Patricia Bennett <laughs> at the time, who was a Tougaloo alumnus, uh, was the dean at MC Law who helped us shepherd that through to start that clinic. And so, and so, but obviously the centerpiece of the work was going to be Tougaloo College. Now, oddly enough, I had no plans to get on faculty. I was just brought to the center. I was like, well, I just work with whomever uh, because Justin Anderson already had a pre-law program uh, in his name at Tougaloo College. We've advanced the pre-law program, which since, 19, since 1993 had by that time graduated about 180 lawyers uh, across the country uh, 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 from that program. So the idea was I would work with that program director to help you know, begin to establish the programming uh, through the center at, uh, at Tougaloo College. Well, I, I'll never forget it. I literally was about to, I had my little list of sticky notes and I was literally about to pick up the phone to call the pre-law director to you know, let him know try to schedule a meeting so we can discuss it. And I pulled up an article and he had left, the, finally he left the position to be the city attorney for city of Jackson. So um, I texted, I called Ryan, I said, Ryan, I said, you know, uh, so the other guy, you know, the, the pre-law director of course has left. Uh, and I don't really want to kind of drag this out, you know, while we've got momentum, you know, your, you know, Justice Anderson made it clear we need to kind of get this done. I said, well, I would, you know, I can get on faculty. And at the time I had a full-time law practice. Yeah. And, and she was like, and she said the question, I was like, really? I said, yeah. I said, it's like, it could, how hard could it be? <laughs> and so the position opened and I applied for the position and I started uh, in March, 2019. And it was really, it was very eye-opening. This was my first time, because I already started teaching MC Law, teaching the clinic. And working with undergraduates, it was really, you know, it was really just such an eye-opening experience. And really, because I had to both, to, to, to transition the program, to get it sort of, you know, uh, uh, solid and sustainable and making sure it serves the needs of the kids and then begin this process of uh, working uh, at the time, uh, Dr. Daphne Chamberlain, who was my dean, who is a, a brilliant uh, civil rights activist and historian, uh, who at the time already, and, and we met through, uh, actually through her, um, her brother, who's a Tougaloo alumnus who worked at Butler Snow, it's just all, it's all, it's yeah. all faith. Right. And so uh, she had already been sort of trying to look at a, a, a work around building an institute, uh, a social justice institute at Tougaloo, around looking at curriculum and, and making sure that the curriculum reflected uh, social justice and, 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 and racial issues as it should. And so we were already in sync. It was, again, it was all, you know, all God's plan, all fate. And so it was, it was, a, it was a huge transition, but one of the things I, I learned uh, in that experience was knowing with uh, going through the experience with my brother was basically treating them the same way. I knew how much it meant to me, you know, to be in that experience for him and what it meant to me for Tougaloo loved and nurtured and supported him as much as I, I could, as, yeah. as much as I wanted to. So give that same back in these students and invest in them in, in that same way. And I was grateful to have that ethos, but also work with uh, Dr. Charles Holmes, who was the founding uh, pre-law director of, of, of of both Tougaloo College and the founding pre-law director of Jackson State University, who probably has educated, mentored more black, successful black lawyers probably than anybody in history, I, I literally. That and lead so, me, but that lead me to a, a, a separate question. Um, 
because you've had a diverse experience. I mean, in terms of educationally, you attended two PWIs and arguably one of the most prestigious, uh, you know, institutions in the, in the country. What do you see as far as the fundamental differences between a student at Harvard and, and what they get out of that, that experience versus a, tu uh, a student that's attending Tougaloo? Well, let me say this. Uh, in, 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 in being on faculty, you know, directing the Anderson Institute and doing the work with the students, I, it has given me even, and let me say this, I work with phenomenal colleagues, especially in lawyers who are outstanding, who are two alumni who are outstanding. So I never was one of those people who had this perception, you know, that, oh, you know, my, my experience uh, uh, being at a PWI, some of the PWIs which were qualified than HBCU, because that's just not, that wasn't borne out by the evidence in my professional experience with people. So first of all, I never had that ethos. But I grew to respect HBCU students, especially students at Tougaloo, more than anyone, because, look, I was essentially spoiled through my, you know, my Harvard experience. It, Harvard is built for... Again, it, it's ultimately built, to, it gives you every, you know, you are a, a, a consumer of a great educational experience and the world is your oyster and you're spoiled through that process. What I respected about Tougaloo students is they could get to the same level as a Harvard student, but it took much more as far as, as dealing with that day-to-day -day experience at HBCU of working, of trying to support themselves financially, of everything that it took, and they turned out just as competitive with anyone who got, you know, right. something like me who got spoiled through a Harvard degree. And so it, it made me respect and admire them more, and it motivated me more to invest in them to try to replicate the experiences in my program at the level of a PWI, at the level of a Harvard, to make it easier for them to be successful. Yeah, that kind of leads me to my question, uh, Julian. Um, I, I went, just like uh, Mr. Brown said, I matriculated through two um, um, HBCUs, and there I noticed, um, well, there we had, a, at both schools, we had a slogan, um, the HBCU struggle. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're talking to someone from Winstonville who's looking, you know, to make their transition to college, mm -hmm. um, what would you tell them about, you know, what, what advice would you give them about which route to take? Oh man, that's a cool one. <laughs> well, first of all, I definitely encourage the code too. Uh, <laughs> I, I have all the faith in the world and, and I tell, well, I, and I seriously say this, and I say this honestly to my parents, you know, I would put the work we do with the Anderson Institute and our pre-law program, our public policy program, and our leadership development program against any program in the country. Uh, and I say that honestly because like with our pre-law program, for example, our students, they, we, we revamped the curriculum so they could uh, um, be prepared for law school, so they could literally, it, it's a microcosm of the law school experience because law school is a totally different way of studying and thinking. We train them in that. Uh, they get high-level internships with everything from, they're working with um, the Innocence Project and the uh, uh, Center for Investigative Reporting to look at cold cases, doing research around cold cases, looking at issues of the criminal, ju criminal justice system. They are, you know, I have a partnership with my firm where they're getting, where they do a, 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 a mini internship and get mentorship and support. You know, they intern in, in major, uh, uh, with, you know, the courts, with government entities. We have a public policy program, which we, as part of the Anderson Institute, where I, we just had, we're just had, I, we're our students, our uh, top economic student, just, we just published a paper, a white paper, looking at establishing a state earned income tax credit 
uh, in Mississippi doing a pilot project that we're going to do with the Department of Human Services. You know, we are developing a food system on campus. My brother uh, 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 co-founded with me a two-year growth initiative to develop a food system on the campus where we're paying living wages to the students to build it as a worker-owned cooperative. I mean, these kids, we have an educational equity project where they're working with an organization called Grave Jackson Arts Council to provide after-school mentorships, after-school uh, uh, enrichment and mentorships to JPS middle school students that we're using to uh, 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 as a means of studying policy around uh, 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 universal after-school programs as part of the public school system. Our kids, we just completed the Ben G. Thompson Leisure Development Program where our students worked with organizers in the Delta to do community and economic development projects uh, and did qualitative and quantitative research looking at these projects to make policy recommendations for the Farm Bill, which they just submitted uh, at the uh, end of the year to the Socially Disadvantaged Farmers and Ranchers Policy Center at Alcorn. So they do high-level transformational work on the ground as students, right. yet get this you know, amazing educational experience where they have a director and they have a phenomenal uh, professors who love them and nurture them and motivate them and take a vested interest in them to want to see them succeed to both do uh, well and also do good. Okay, so in other words, what you're telling me is that it's best to choose an HBCU over at Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you well, didn't. Well, let me, let, me take it, let me take that in a different direction. The reality is that there's only going to be a very small fraction of uh, students, not to mention you know, students of color, that are going to be accepted into a Harvard or an Avalee program. And so uh, HBCUs, when you run it up against Harvard, the odds of you having those two options are going to be much greater in terms of you getting into an HBCU. I think where the, the significant difference that I hear uh, Julian say is that a lot of our students of color have all types of challenges, food insecurity being one, uh, social justice being, being one, and, and so the work they're doing at Tougaloo is really advancing uh, the fight against those uh, particular uh, matters. And so, Julian, I want to say this. Uh, I think that it was important to, to bring you on the show and highlight the work you're doing at Tougaloo for one very important reason. Uh, everyone that's in this fight to advance HBCUs uh, have not attended HBCUs. Some of those individuals have gone on to lead HBCUs. Some are making significant investments in HBCUs. And so what I recognize is that as a Harvard-trained lawyer, who went to the University of Mississippi and received your law degree, uh, that you could operate anywhere in the world. And, and you chose to bring your talent back to the state of Mississippi, the Mississippi Delta, and invest your time, your resources, your knowledge and experience in advancing the cause. And sometimes that's just as important as actually attending the institution because you do get equipped with things that you can bring back and, and you have case studies that you, you can prove your model with. And so for the work that you have done in advancing the, uh, the causes of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, I want to award you with the HBCU oh. Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> and we really appreciate you. We appreciate you coming to be on the show. To my viewers, Thank you for watching. I appreciate each of you. And remember, without you, there's no me.